0: It may have been the most notorious email ever. A few words banged out on an iPhone, promising incriminating information on Hillary Clinton straight from Kremlin files. The email, written to Donald Trump Jr., led to the notorious meeting at Trump Tower, in which top Trump campaign officials met with a delegation of Russians, a pivotal event in the unfolding of the Russia scandal. Now, the author of that email, music publicist Rob Goldstone, is speaking out about how he came to write the email and what happened during the meeting that followed. We'll discuss that and his insights into other mysteries about Trump's Russia ties. And we'll give you our take on the Kavanaugh confirmation battle on today's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know
1: whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not.
0: I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a it? ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News.
2: And I'm Dan Kleidman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News.
0: You know, uh, Kleidman, I've been uh, waiting to talk to Rob Goldstone for quite some time. He's such a uh, mysterious but key figure in the whole Russia scandal. Uh, but before we get to him, we got to deal with, this, uh, with the K- uh, Kavanaugh confirmation fight. Uh, such gut-wrenching political theater before the Judiciary Committee on Thursday, and yet... The Republicans are moving ahead with the vote.
2: They are, and um, it, it's possible that uh, by uh, this weekend um, uh, they'll uh, pass procedural votes, and early next week uh, he'll be confirmed. There still are um, a couple of Republican senators who have not come out and said what they're going to, how they would vote. Um, so um, you know there may still be drama to come. Um, but, uh, right now it looks like the Republicans have momentum again and it's really extraordinary. I mean, uh, the, uh, uh, the day of the hearing was like emotional whiplash for the country because, uh, as you watched,
0: um, we, yeah, we all thought that Kavanaugh was through after watching, uh, Dr. Ford's gripping testimony.
2: Uh, yeah, it, 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 absolutely. And, and it wasn't just us. It was yeah. Republicans. They were, they were in, uh, in despair. You could see right. it all over Twitter, Uh, We were, you know, people reporting that President Trump himself uh, was uh, furious that um, uh, his aides hadn't uh, fully explained to him how credible she was going to be. And then, uh, you know, he he testifies. He comes out with that barn burning opening statement, really angry, uh, really emotional, but effective um, in terms of rallying. Uh, Republicans rallying his base, which is a weird way to talk about a Supreme Court nominee. Right. But in this tribal age, um, you right. know, th- that that it that is what it comes down to. In a lot I mean, of ways. The,
0: the, you know, the part of his uh, opening statement that really grabbed me was the uh, was the reference to the uh, the. the this being the attacks on him being a product of anger over the 2016 election of Donald Trump and revenge on the behalf of the Clintons. That was such a revealing line because it showed, you know, we've talked so much about uh, uh, how the echoes of the Clinton impeachment battle are still with us today. And there was a glaring example of it. Kavanaugh, of course, had been a part of the conservative lawyers who were um, uh, investigating uh, Bill Clinton. He worked for Ken Starr. Uh, he made a lot of enemies uh, while he was uh, in that uh, in that position and uh, you know, his comments were not, I I can understand why he said them. Let's remember uh, Brian Fallon, who was the uh, uh, was the spokesman for the Clinton campaign, has been leading the super attack, super uh, pack uh, attack on uh, on on Brett Kavanaugh, running ads against him. Uh, you had people like Paul Begala and David Brock out there, old Clintonistas going after uh, Kavanaugh. But his comments and the way he took that and talking about Revenge of the Clintons certainly raised a lot of questions about, at a minimum, his judicial temperament.
2: Yeah. Well, Let me say two things about this. One is, um, and I've been saying this all along, that uh, Brett Kavanaugh is a jurist with in some ways the soul of a political operative, right? Um, and uh, he grew up um, in in Washington, in in in, uh, in government, in the Bush administration, in this kind of culture of uh, take no prisoners, uh, never admit uh, a defeat, win at all costs politics, um, and. Um, uh, I think that a lot of that came through um, at, 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 at the hearing. Um, the other thing I would say is just goes to your point. Um, look, he can be legitimately angry about what's happened to him and and what uh, wh- and, and how uh, uh, and and what his family has had uh, to go through. Um, uh, but um, a- at the same time, uh, tactical and using this to his advantage, which I, which I think he has he has done. And it does raise, Uh, Real questions about um, temperament and about judicial demeanor for him to be so uh, angry and so partisan. And uh, we're going to be joined by um, our colleague, uh, Lisa Belkin, who's done a lot of reporting um, uh, looking at uh, the Anita uh, uh, Hill-Clarence Thomas hearing and how it uh, is similar and different to what we've just gone through. But one thing um, I—and maybe Lisa will know more about this than I do—I don't remember Clarence Thomas— Going after Democrats on the committee in quite as explicitly a partisan way as Brett Kavanaugh. Well, he did, did. call
0: his his confirmation a, a high tech lynching. Right, absolutely. But you know well, what? We have uh, Lisa right here with us, Lisa Belkin. Hello. Um, uh, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery.
3: Good to be here. And yes, it was it was quite a show yesterday. Um,
0: so, okay, give us your takeaway. What you you watched the whole thing? You wrote about it. Um, who did you find more credible?
3: There were a number of different audiences. So you called it political theater. It was. It was political theater, and there were many, many audiences. And the one that I spent the most time interacting with and watching was not the one who was looking at this in terms of politics, which which you guys just analyzed incredibly well, but the ones who were looking at it through the lens of either women who still feel wronged by what happened with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, who still see that as evidence of government not listening to them and not hearing them back then, and women today who have either personal experience with or or are from the world of sexual assault and abuse and discrimination. And they were looking to this as an example of, OK, will she be heard? Will she be listened to? And so the parallels to what happened with with Thomas and Hill um, and, and Kavanaugh and Ford were stunning. Um, for a while, it looked like this was completely different. And yeah. In what sense? Well, at halftime, if you want to call it that, we all thought he was done. I thought he was done. You thought he was done. Um, She was powerful. She was compelling. She was, in many ways, every woman who has ever taken on a powerful man. And she she was
2: appealing, which she had to be. Which is the right. double standard? Totally, if she had the come double out standard in the way that that mm-hmm. uh, Brett Kavanaugh had. Right, she would have been finished. No, at that she. Moment.
3: If she had come out and been strident, if she had raised her voice, if she had, you know, discussed herself as aggrieved, um, then yeah, she would have been done. And she managed to look like someone who clearly believed this happened and was completely consistent in her story, was honest about what she didn't know. So it was not like, you know, she's peddling as fast as she can to make this all make sense. She agreed it didn't completely make sense, which is consistent with everything we know about sexual assault victims and what they remember and what they don't remember. the looks on the faces of, of both Republican and Democratic senators told volumes about uh, the, the Democrats were far more openly emotional. The Republicans were, they they didn't want to go near this. They didn't want this to happen. They knew in advance they weren't going to want this to happen. They they made sure they didn't have to repeat the optics of 91 and actually interview her. But even so, it looked like they were, you know, hiding as far as they possibly could behind the the um, female assistant that they hired to ask yeah, what'd the questions. What did you make of her questioning? Um, she was in a tough position, and the well, we'll we'll get to what I think is the most interesting moment in in her question in a second, because at the start. It looked as though she was in just as bad a position as any man would have been trying to to interview Ford, that, you know, with the five minute time limit and she, she couldn't get a line of questioning going and she was getting no traction because Ford was so open and amiable and eager to please and so that anything that she she didn't even seem to notice some of the time that she was being accused of things by by the prosecutor Um,
0: Not accused, but she was she seemed to be doing a wind up for a gotcha moment. Yeah, there were traps. There were traps being set
3: that Ford not only didn't fall into, she seemed to not notice that they were there. Uh, the, the, The prosecutor was trying to prove that, well, it was a convenient excuse to say you didn't. You're Afraid of Flying, and she was just like, yeah, isn't it terrible? I have to do it so much? I mean, she was a completely open book. Um, Made me think we were seeing the 15-year-old version of her, the one who was so... Eager to please, and and the good student, and and she was never going to, you know, tell her parents this because she was doing something she wasn't supposed to, and maybe it was probably her fault. And I mean, that was who we saw in the morning, and then Kavanaugh came out swinging and booming and shouting, and watching Twitter, and and my you know, my text feed and the people who I was sort of keeping in touch with during all of this, those who remember the Clarence Thomas hearings, who were there, who were of age, who were affected by it, they were the only ones at halftime who weren't saying, yeah, he's done. I mean, they weren't with all the book he- bookies online whose mm-hmm. odds of him being confirmed were plummeting. They weren't buying the fact that Trump was in the White House ready to pull the nomination because they remembered that this happened in 91 also, that everyone believed Anita Hill, that people were holding their breath. They were stunned. They couldn't believe what this woman was saying and saying with such authority and such conviction. And then he came out swinging. Yeah, and, I I I,
2: and I, I, th- I predicted that he was going to come out swinging um, because I didn't think he had Any other options. He had done that, I thought, somewhat disastrous Fox News interview where he was robotic and uh, kept repeating the same, you know, repeating the same. I just want a fair process. I just want a fair process. And the whole thing about, you know, believing in the dignity of women, which he repeated over and over again, like a talking point that he'd memorized. And so he couldn't afford to do that again. I thought he was going to have to come out with a really strong emotional uh, argument and really was an outburst. What I didn't think was that it would be as effective mm-hmm. as it turned out to be and I think it was because you know this is, this is political theater This, is, this is, um, uh, it is post or pre-factual because we don't have enough facts to really uh, assess who is telling the truth for sure um, and so in that kind of void um, theater becomes the most important thing and I think that's what
0: happened right right and and look i mean senator coons made what seemed like the only compromise, split-the-difference proposal you could come up with in this sort of circumstances is let's take a one-week pause, have the FBI go out and interview these witnesses, and then come back to us. It's not likely going to resolve anything, even if you had the FBI go out and do that, but at least you're going through the motions of making an effort to get at the truth. It shows good faith. Yeah. It shows good faith,
2: but— look, this is not a fact-finding exercise. This is not an exercise about getting to the truth. This is about winning. Right. Um, right and right. and th- w- th- those were the words that Mitch McConnell used.
0: And I got to say, I think that uh, Michael Avenatti played a role here with that, you know, last-minute dump of a witness nobody ever heard of before making these seemingly, you know, wild claims about gang rapes with no corroboration. Of any of it, right. no which, witnesses. Which she did
3: not even accuse Kavanaugh of doing, although of he, just being right, he was very. Rapes. He took great right. umbrage at the fact that he'd been accused of being a gang member rapist, whereas right. that was never in which the girls accusation. Drugged, by the right. way, let's not forget the quaaludes. So, and so that. many things in retrospect set this up so that, yes, it was political theater and the final act was clear from the beginning. We just and didn't on, know it yeah yet.
2: And on, on Avenetti, I mean, if, if if it turns out, as it sounds like it it, it will, uh, that that particular set of allegations um, has no real foundation, yeah, that's pretty harmful to the cause of women and right. people generally who um, you know, uh, you know, who, who want to make sure that justice is done to people who, who, uh, who have been sexually assaulted, uh, right? I mean, because... And
3: that is the audience that is distraught right now because no. there was a a moment where no. it looked as though this wasn't ninety one, that people did believe her, that all the changes that have happened, that all the context that, you know, of, of Me Too and and all their their anger and their being triggered over the past few years, that all of this had changed yeah. things. So I wanna I wanna follow
2: up on that because uh, and, and this drama has not fully played out yet there still could be surprises between now and when there's a final vote um, but at this moment I'm just going to ask you to uh, to uh, to be clairvoyant for for a moment um, and if looking back say what Clarence Thomas was 27 years ago yes um, 91. so looking back uh, let's say uh, uh, th- in, with that that amount of, of, of distance and time what kind of moment do you think this? Uh, will be is this going to be uh, an important inflection point? Uh, what what is the, the meaning of this of this particular cultural moment?
3: I think we'll know a lot of the answer to that in November, um, and what that translates into. Um, I got a text from from a partisan um, in the middle of all of this saying it's like some sort of bizarre Hobson's choice. Do we get do we lose this seat and gain the Senate, and there's the feeling that this anger may well translate into far more of a victory than there would have been in November. Can
0: I play uh, devil's advocate for a moment here? Um, uh, you know, uh, Danny mentioned this is not a criminal trial, so it raises the question, what are the proper standards? But Lisa, you're a uh, you know, veteran journalist, worked for the New York Times for many years. Um, if Christina Ford had come to you, and told you this story about something that had happened more than 30 years ago and had been as compelling as she was uh, in, in her testimony on Thursday. And then she couldn't tell you. When it happened, where it happened, how she got to the party, how she left the party, and you couldn't find any witnesses to corroborate what she was saying. Would you have been able to write a story for the New York Times about her allegations?
3: Yes. I you think, think so. that with, with no that corroboration. level, with the level of corroboration that we have, now, In other words, to keep saying no corroboration is not entirely true. There are people who describe a Brett Kavanaugh back then who is consistent with the the young man that she Somebody describes. Somebody who drinks a lot. Right, right, right. and blacks out. There yeah. are people who say, to, to say, I do not remember that, happening is very different from saying that didn't happen or that couldn't have happened so he kept saying four people have absolutely denied that it happened well no they didn't but one they of them actually said, yes one of them actually said it. you know I believe her one of these four who he's using as as in his own defense right. um, I think think that on the level of a Supreme... When someone is going for the Supreme Court... No, but I, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you could have written a story mm. about it. Let me... Get Clyde no, on. I'm, oh, I'm wait, saying, wait I'm me, saying me, me, that's why when, I would have written the story, is because he was a Supreme Court nominee. If right, someone came to me... you're PD, Belkin's
0: editor. Would you, have, um, would you have published a story based on the evidence that we have uh, uh, on... Uh, dr. Ford's account
2: i think i'd say lisa let's get the fbi to investigate <laughs> <laughs> no no seriously well, let, i've let always say two thought things. we should have subpoena, subpoena power, power. Two, yeah. two things one is uh look if you're in, in the, the 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 journalism metaphor yeah. um you, you know you just take more time yeah. right i mean what's 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 the All rush right. so you take another week another two weeks um and um uh, and and you you gather enough reporting, so that you find you, can.
3: you find those people who were there on July first, where she right. mentions right. four well, people and those four things. people, but, yeah. right?
2: But actually, as the New York Times has pointed out, the proper metaphor may be, and this was the Democrats' position: it you know you're, uh, it's not writing a story about Brett Kavanaugh. It's would you hire or, or about mm-hmm. Blasey uh, Ford's uh, allegations? Oh. Is would you hire Brett Kavanaugh? So uh, that's to me an easier question to answer if someone raised uh, the, 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 these kinds of allegations against Kavanaugh who you were interviewing for a job um, and you um you know, the person who brought these allegations to you was credible and some of it was corroborated, but it would give you serious pause. Well, it's also
3: the standard to which we held Trump's accusers. There have been numerous stories about people who accuse Trump of doing things that he denies he did. And the only evidence in the story, the New York Times stories included, are this is what she said. So, yes, absolutely.
0: Okay. Well, I unfortunately, for the purpose of this exercise, we don't have more time because we have to get to Rob Goldstone. So, Lisa, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery.
3: Thank you. Let's see what comes next. Come back again, Lisa.
0: We'll
2: be back with more Skullduggery.
0: Okay, and now we are joined by Rob Goldstone, uh, the author of what uh, may be uh, the world's most famous email of all time, and also the author of a new book, Pop Stars, Pageants, and Presidents, How an Email Trumped My Life. Trumped is all in caps. Rob, welcome to Skullduggery.
1: Pleasure. Nice to be here. Um,
0: So I've got one question to start off uh, with you, uh, which is that you and I met, actually, back in March of 2017 when I was beginning my research for Russian roulette. uh, And um, you were... uh, amazingly forthcoming. Uh, we had drinks. You told me all about uh, Donald Trump and his relationship with the Aguilarovs, his trip to Moscow in uh, uh, in November 2013, um, all of which was included in the book. But you didn't tell me about the Trump
1: Tower meeting. And do you know why?
0: Uh, well, that is my first question for you.
1: <laughs> I know, I you know, I could just imagine people's will gasp when I say this. Because I'd forgotten all about it. Oh come on! No, no. I, I honest. And when this story broke, I was overseas. After it died down a little, I thought, I bet Mike Isakoff's there thinking you didn't tell me about this (laughs) meeting. I am telling you, it never. You know, I was so angry at that meeting, and I was so angry at being put in that position and embarrassed more than angry about the Trump Tower. About the Trump Tower. Not not your meeting. meeting. No, that was amazing. Was that just when I'd said to Emin afterwards, who was my client? you know i never want to talk about this meeting again i must have somehow blocked it from my mind because when we met it never even entered my side sa- cuz as you know we just chatted about all kinds of things right. it wasn't there it, it it to me it was a, an embarrassment about Adoption. I I knew nothing of Magnitsky at the time. I didn't understand the relevance. Now I should literally be a paid spokesman to explain to everyone what the Magnitsky Act is. All I do is hear about Magnitsky day and night.
2: Okay, let's Rob, let's back up for a second. So for for the listeners out there who don't know the origin of the famous Trump Tower meeting, you tap out this email. Just uh, tell us what happened.
1: I get a call. From my client Emin Agalarov, who I not only did public relations for, but I also had managed for about three years, and he called me. And And he's the he's the son of Aguilarov who's who's a fairly, you know, middle range oligarch. He really isn't what he's portrayed, which is one of the top oligarchs in Russia. At the time when Donald Trump described him as the richest man in Russia has come to see me, he was the 54th richest man in Russia. So are
0: you suggesting that Donald Trump was uh, exaggerating a bit? Oh, it could have been one of the rare (laughs) occasions. Yes,
1: I'm sure. sure. But even Aras seemed, when it was translated to him, seemed so embarrassed by this because he's tens of billions of dollars away from being the richest man in Russia. So Emin had called me and said that that morning, a well-connected attorney had met with his father, who was either a current or a former prosecutor. I can't remember which of those he said, but it was one of those. And wanted a meeting with the Trumps because they had potentially damaging information about illegal Russian funding to the Democrats and the campaign. i was stunned in the time i'd met with emin and and known him and and we'd become friends he'd never talked politics he'd never said anything other than what do you think i should do for my next music video my next single my next album that's the world i lived i lived in egos i didn't deal with this kind of thing so i needed more information I, i i said to him well who's this attorney and he said well connected and i said what does that mean well connected and then i flippantly said connected to what a plug socket the power grid and there was a silence but to me it was you can push people so far and you know if you're going to get an answer and if you're not and this was one of those occasions and then I said well what is this information and he stopped it in its tracks and just said it doesn't matter all I need you to do is just get a meeting you don't have to go to the meeting you don't have to report on it you don't have to attend it and I said to him you know this is a really bad idea nothing good could come from this And, you know, a lot of people have speculated why (laughs) I said that. It had nothing to do with the content. I didn't care about the content. I cared about selfishly, for him more than me, but for me a little, we had a kind of relationship with the Trumps, one of them is running to be the president of the United States. I want to keep a favor in my back pocket. You don't want to use up your chits on For something. a random yeah. attorney yeah. offering information that I, he can't even explain to me what it is. And that's yet, why I said it. And yet- um, and yet I wrote an email.
0: And let, let just for our, so our listeners can remember, because this email probably did more to fuel and inflame the Russia scandal than any other development uh, since... Uh, 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 president trump took office and i just want to read it and then have Fine. you uh dissect it for it cause have these me are, cringe you know, in the chat <laughs> these are your words uh, as, uh sent on at june on june 3rd 2016 smack in the middle of the campaign good morning and this is the donald trump jr emin just called and asked me to contact you with something very interesting the crown prosecutor of russia met with his father, Aris, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump, helped along by
1: Aris and Emmett. And can you just read the final line of that, because I'm gonna to refer to that. Uh, which, the part I just read, uh, helped by,
0: a, along by Aris and
1: Emin. But then after that, I believe the most important line in that email was, to show my skepticism or, or my inability to know exactly what I was talking about, I go, what do you think the best way to handle this, and is it best if you speak directly with Emin about this? Right, right. I'll, I'll happily talk about all that email, but to me, that was the most important thing for me. Because I believe, and I've always believed, my email didn't get the meeting. My email got a call. And so I wanted to put that in there. As a publicist for many years, I would never suggest that somebody I'm pitching would speak with my client directly. Otherwise, what's the use of me? I've just done myself out of a job. In this case, it was the number one thing for me. Just have a conversation about it, and I wash my hands of it.
0: Okay, but but let me just, a couple of phrases in there that leapt out to everybody mm-hmm. at the time. Official documents that would incriminate Hillary. Um, very high level and sensitive part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump.
1: So let me, ex- if I can explain how that was, what that email was supposed to do and why I chose those words. I'm surprised that you actually didn't start out with Crown Prosecutor because the media well, I, lost its collective <laughs> mind over this. I'll <laughs> we'll come I, back to that, yes. But right. but that to <laughs> me can be explained away if for anybody listening who's English, they will understand all prosecutors are Crown prosecutors. I grew up there when I studied journalism there. I studied a bit of law, it's a crown prosecutor. I've always called prosecutors, even in this country, crown prosecutors. They're akin to a federal prosecutor. I was talking about that attorney, whoever it was, because instead said either a, fur- a current or a former prosecutor.
0: And, w- and as you helpfully pointed out in the book, that uh, Russia hasn't had a crown
1: for since Tsar uh, Nicholas II <laughs> was
0: overthrown in 1917.
1: Exactly. And I never, well, anyway, so to answer your question, Because Emin had said that this attorney was connected and was a current or former prosecutor, in my mind, when you say connected, this is Russia, and they're offering potentially damage. That's the government. Whether it's local, state, Kremlin, there's a government involvement there. She's not connected, you know, to the local Rotary Club or the Lions Club. She's connected, in my mind, to the government. If somebody who's connected to the government has this kind of information, well, I believe, rightly or wrongly, it is sensitive and it is high level, but it's just my assumption. Well, so you, by your own admission, you were engaging in, I think your word was puffery yeah. in writing this, but it was informed puffery. I, I would say this wasn't, many people would said to me, oh, so you made up this email. I said, no, I didn't make it up. I made what Emin said better. I used what I believed he was saying, and puffed it which is what a good pr man does well which is what they asked me in senate judiciary which is public record have you on other occasions in your role as a publicist ever puffed up an email and i said yes on all occasions (laughs) (laughs) and they also smiled but it's true otherwise why be a publicist Mm -hmm. you know i could be many things but that is what i do i have to get people's attention because if i'd actually sent an email that said, hey, Don, Emin just called me. I have no idea what he's talking about, but apparently some random lawyer met with his father and has some information, but he didn't want to tell me, but maybe he'll talk to you. Well, no one would answer that email. I wouldn't answer that email.
2: Okay, well, let's go back to the point you were making before, uh, which is that this meeting ultimately didn't, if I understood you correctly, did not take place on the basis of your email,
1: but the phone call. I believe that. And that, And that phone call was? Between Don Jr. and Emin. And there's been a lot of talk of that because originally um, attorneys who represent the Aguilarovs and and Natalia and all kind of it said there was no call. It never took place. That It's just pure fantasy. Then that was rolled back. Then Don Jr. testified and said he believed there were three short calls of some description but couldn't remember what was said. And then recently Emin did an interview with Vice on HBO in which he said we did speak. And he said what they talked about which seemed extremely vague to me because it was very much along the lines of hey there's somebody and it could be useful to you and maybe it would and maybe it isn't and maybe the information's good and if you can do a meeting that's great but if you can't that's also great and apparently at the end of it according to emin don junior said that's great if you're asking me to do that i'll do that for you
0: had had emin ever told you he had talked uh, to don junior no so you didn't know whether that uh, your invitation or suggestion that the two of them talk ever came to fruition or not?
1: I didn't know. But about 30 minutes after the call was due to take place, and I believed had taken place, Don Jr. emailed me and just said, hey, thanks, Rob, for, for all your help, D, which is Don. And Emin, a short while later, said, now you can set up the meeting for Thursday, June 9th which I took to mean, well, now you can because I've just spoken about it. Then to emphasize that call, Don went, and by the way, Paul Manafort, the campaign chairman, will be joining the meeting, as will my brother-in-law, Jared Kushner. My immediate reaction was, okay, that must have been an interesting call, Mm -hmm. because up until then, all I'd ever asked for was for some random attorney to meet with don jr
0: but come on didn't it occur to you you you've put some pretty heavy information in your puffery email here talking about the russian government's interest in supporting the trump campaign um it's not at all surprising that this would get communicated to the campaign manager mr
1: manafort and uh, jared kushner right not at all yes Not uh, i don't think it's it's uh, you know people have, uh, say to me a, a lot Shouldn't you have known? Shouldn't you have stopped the meeting? You, Rob Golson, shouldn't you have called the FBI? And I go, Well, wait, Paul Manafort was there. He must have been informed about this. And he's a far more savvy political operative than me, who's some music publicist from England. Well, not
0: that savvy. He's currently in jail <laughs> facing long
1: prison terms. <laughs> but, so uh,
0: you'll,
2: let me let me ask you this, uh, because um I mean you were saying before that um it didn't even occur to you uh to bring this meeting up right. with Isikoff when you guys met. But when you the when you emailed Don uh, Trump Jr. about the meeting and what the Russians uh, would be able to offer, the Russian government would be able to offer, he writes back and says, uh, if it's what you say it is, I love it, especially uh, later in the summer.
1: What, what was your reaction to
2: that, or did you have no reaction? No,
1: I did have a reaction. I read it and still believe there's an element to this if it's what you say it is, I love it, especially later in the summer. And then I believe he says, and either I think you're right, or why don't I just speak with Emin about it? So I was like, two for two, he's got it. If it's what you say it is, I love it, to me means, I don't know if it is or it isn't, which is the one thing I was trying to convey. This was such a dramatic email that I mean, it was fairly all laid out in front of you. It was a bit too perfect. Like if I'd received something like that, I'd think all of this is there in writing in black and white. <laughs> so when he went, if it's what you say it is, I love it. And then maybe I should just speak with Emin directly. I thought, well, he obviously realizes that he needs to hear this from the horse's mouth. Okay. So I thought it was two for two. OK, but what I'm asking, I guess, is did it occur to you?
2: Did you think that perhaps uh, in re- responding to this, that the Trump campaign uh, might be engaging in a little political skullduggery,
1: to use a word. I didn't. And um, I don't know if that's because I didn't grow up here. I don't know if it's because I didn't show much of an interest in politics. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because I was a useful idiot, as Christopher Hill said, or if I was an idiot. I mean, I will (laughs) take that if necessary. But the point is, it never occurred to me. What occurred to me was, I can wash my hands of this entire thing. He's going. If it's what you say it is, I love it. Great. He's not sure. Should I speak to M? And you're right. Thank you. And once they had that call, I never cared about it again.
0: Okay. Couple of uh, a couple of quick questions here. First of all, a- a- as you know, uh, congressional investigators have discovered that shortly after um, Don Jr. has his phone call with. Uh, Mm. there's a phone call with a blocked number and a lot of people have speculated that that was his father um, Donald Trump Um, do you think it was likely from everything you know that this would have been communicated to Donald Trump
1: so obviously I don't know who that call was to but would it have been communicated to Donald Trump Um, this goes hand in hand to me with the question did Donald Trump know the meeting was taking sure, place? Sure, exactly. And the only way I really feel comfortable or able to answer that is, if my father was running for the president of the United States and I was taking a meeting with a bunch of Russians, with whether it's opposition research or DIRT or whatever you want to call it, in a conference room that's your conference room, a floor or two below where you're sitting in your building that bears your name, with your conference, with your campaign chairman, and your son-in-law, who's my brother-in-law, human nature would tell me that I would tell my father. That's that, no. That's the only way I can say. It. I don't know how somebody wouldn't, but I don't know that he did.
0: All right, let's let's go to the meeting itself because uh, you give a quite detailed account of what took place um, uh, during this session. Uh, as you pointed out, originally you didn't even think you were going to. Be in the meeting. Yeah, You're just going to escort this delegation of Rus- Russians, led by Natalia Veselnitskaya, the lawyer in question, the so-called crown prosecutor, um, who did have ties to the FSB, but uh, was not a uh, official uh, prosecutor. Um,
1: you meet her just that day for the first time. First time in the lobby of Trump Tower. And not only do I meet her, but I. Th- Maybe I am an idiot. I'd forgotten, the same way as I forgot to tell you about this meeting, I'd forgotten to tell Don Jr. that that day, just as I was leaving, she'd sent me an email saying, I'm bringing two other people with me to this meeting. And I simply wrote, bring whoever you want. Just make sure they have security so we're not held up. All I cared about was getting these people in without any problem. So when she arrived, and Ike Cavaladze was there, who represented the Aguilarovs, who I knew really well because I'd worked with him on other projects for them, And I see these other two people. I'm like, who are all these people? Why are there four people? I'd forgotten that she'd said this. So when Ike said to me, you've met Don before. Can you introduce us and do the handoff? What I was also thinking was, I've not told Don Jr. that there's actually now four people coming to this instead of one person and a translator. It's a great opportunity to say hello, there's two additional people that I should have told you about. That's how I happened to get upstairs. And then Don said to me, why don't you stay so you can just escort these people out at the end? It's going to be a short meeting anyway. And again, as a publicist and as just there was no reason why I wouldn't, I stayed. But I have to tell you before you ask the next question, the best thing I ever did was stay. If I hadn't stayed and all of what's been said would have been said about this meeting, well, I would never have known, but I was in that meeting. And what took place in the meeting? We sat down. I ended up sitting next to Jared Kushner. Um, Don sat next to Paul Manafort. And then the attorney had her people around her. She had a translator, Ike, and this other gentleman she'd brought with her. And um, Don invited her to present whatever it was she had to say. And she stood up and I don't really remember because I didn't pay a huge amount of attention to any of this. Whether she spoke entirely in Russian and it was all translated, or whether there was a little bit red that may have been in English. But she started this kind of quite monotonous it's presentation. Kind of droning, droning, say. monotonous presentation about how wasn't it awful how people like Bill Browder and the Ziff brothers donate money to the Democrats. And when she said this, I kind of looked over at Don Jr. and I looked back and I thought the the kind of naughty part of me wanted to say, "Didn't your father used to donate money to the <laughs> Democrats also?" This doesn't sound terribly interesting. And she, it was about them that she was going on that they hadn't paid taxes. It was money that should have been paid in Russia and taxes, and it was being to the Democrats. At which point, Jared Kushner suddenly said, "I have no idea what you're talking about. Could you possibly focus and try again?" And to my horror, whether it's a translation issue or whether it is what it is, she started this monotonous presentation from the exact same point and rambled on again for what seemed like an eternity but was probably just a few minutes. Don Jr. looked like he was getting up, I thought, to stop the meeting, so I texted Ike and said, you have to stop this. It's obviously irritating our hosts. So I this said. is during the during. meeting you're texting uh, to I, Ike. We, and he yeah. nodded as if in agreement. Mm-hmm. But suddenly she said, what I really want to talk about is the issue of the Magnitsky Act and the effect it's having on the adoption of Russian children by Americans. And so for me who knew nothing, I'd never heard of Magnitsky. I'd never heard of the act. I was like wait, wait, wait! we're now having a meeting about adoption. And I texted Ike again and said, why are we having a meeting about adoption? And he again looked at me like, this is weird. And she spoke for a couple of minutes, at which point Don Jr. stood up and said, I've no idea why you would address this to us because my father is a private citizen. I would suggest you addressed it to the Obama administration, at which point I stood up and said, thank you all very much and literally herded them out like farm animals and I hung back to apologize to Don and said I've no idea and he sa- he actually said to me I have no idea what that meeting was about uh, Don Jr. said, said to too. me.
0: Didn't, hasn't Natalia Veselnitskaya in some of her interviews suggested that um, Don Jr. did say something along the lines of
1: maybe we can do something about this once we get in office? She has suggested that. As someone who was there, and I don't recall every word of what was said. My recollection is as they were leaving, she said, maybe it's something you can look at in the future. And he didn't answer. And I know he didn't answer because I was stood with him. They were already heading towards the door. I don't recall anybody offering anything, doing anything Um, in the same way as people have said. Maybe Jared said himself that he left in the middle of this. I don't recall that happening either. But I really was paying like sort of half attention because it wasn't my meeting to control. But what it was was my kind of reputation on some level. And there was a selfish part of this. As you said earlier, like, I wanted to keep a favor or two in my back pocket. The very thing I'd warned Emin about, that this could be a horrible idea, it could be embarrassing, had now transpired. So I apologized to Don Jr. And he just said to me, do you know how many meetings I actually do? He goes, I just have no idea what this was about. And I apologized. And we walked out. Manafort was just slightly in front of us. And to make, I suppose, myself look better a bit, I said, oh, by the way, a friend of mine works for VK, which is the Russian version of Facebook, and is trying to set up a page for Mr. Trump, candidate Trump. Is Dan Scavino the right person to contact? Manafort said yes. Don nodded. And I said, thanks very much. That would later become another story. Right. Well,
0: Dan Scavino was the social media manager for the Trump Mm -hmm. campaign. How did you know that?
1: because I had emailed Rona Graf, who was Donald Trump's assistant, when my friend at VK had first suggested this idea. And she had said maybe Dan Scavino is the right person. So I was trying to A, confirm that, but I was doing it in a way that I thought made me look good, like we've just had an embarrassing meeting. Oh, well, look, here's another idea I can give you. But it was right. about the name. Was that the correct person? All
2: right. So, uh, Rob, you're bottom line uh is that this meeting um although it's gotten a ton of attention um and um and uh um, you've written a book uh that's largely about it um at the end of the day is not really that important
1: um i think the meeting um i've I've always believed the meeting was a bait and switch but over the last year i've come to learn how important the switch was because before that Friends that I would say this to would be like, oh, well, why would they do that? This is what I think. I don't know it's true. There are people far smarter than me trying to work this out. She was a lobbyist, a very well-known lobbyist for the Magnitsky Act. Listen, we Against should explain. We Act.
2: need to explain what the Magnitsky Act is, which is passed by Congress. Uh, to place sanctions on
0: Russian human rights abusers. It's named after Mag- Sergei Magnitsky, Sergei Magnitsky, who was the accountant lawyer for Bill Browder, who was being prosecuted by the Russian government uh, after they had seized his the assets of his hedge fund.
2: And so she was lobbying against
1: to have those for the repeal removed. of the Magnitsky Act yes. for the repeal of the Magnitsky Act, and the Russians to punish the Americans by default had imposed a ban on the adoption of Russian children by Americans, which I have also learned is a very big deal for people who want, according to the people who talked to me, blonde, blue-eyed children. This is like the place (laughs) they went. I mean, it sounds very matter of fact, but the more and more people I've talked to said, that's a very big point. So I believe that she always wanted the meeting to lobby for the removal of Magnitsky. The dangling of the carrot, of the dirt, if you think about it, was still connected to Magnitsky because it was about Bill Browder and the Ziff brothers donating money to the Democratic campaign illegally, in her opinion. So I understand it maybe when she says it was always about Magnitsky, but there was still the dangling of the carrot. It was never specified that it was about these people why would she do that? Well, when I heard Vladimir Putin stand next to Donald Trump in Helsinki at a press conference and talk about the Magnitsky Act and name Bill Browder, I was like, wait a minute, that's the person that she talked about. So this is obviously hugely important to the Russian government, hugely important to Vladimir Putin. So maybe that was enough to have a Raz go, yeah, we'll help you with a meeting. But Emin's not stupid. He knows If he'd said to me she'd like a meeting about the Magnitsky Act, well, Donald Jr. presumably would have said, even if I wasn't smart enough to work it out, why would she talk to us about it? You dangle that carrot and don't define it, you got a meeting. Right, right. So let's backtrack a little bit, uh, uh, because
0: you really are a sort of uh, eyewitness to uh, Trump's uh, relationship with the Aguilarovs, obviously, and his trip to Moscow in 2013, which has gotten so much attention. Mm -hmm. You were there. But I want to start the story with Las Vegas, right? Okay. Because that's when Trump first meets the Aguilarovs. And uh, it's at the Miss USA pageant, and they're going to form their deal to bring the um, Miss Universe pageant to Moscow. Um, Tell us what happened in Las Vegas, and that very interesting dinner that you describe in the book.
1: And, and just to set the scene, um, I had gone with Emin to meet with the Miss Universe organization, initially with a view to trying to get a co-star for a music video. While we were there, Emin had the bright idea of saying, well, where is the next Miss Universe? They hadn't chosen a location. I think it was going to be in Vegas. And he said, well, why not have it in Moscow? The head of Miss Universe said, I've seen a few venues, and she named one of them, which was Crocus City Hall. And he nudged me, and I said, well, he owns it, so you probably wouldn't have too big a deal to make it happen there. And Emin did what I've seen him do on many and he goes, done, you'll have your contest there. Now, it wasn't as simple as that. There was a lot of minutia to work out, but he basically said, have it in Moscow. So that's how the idea for it came. Then when it became obvious it was going to happen there, we all met in Las Vegas during Miss USA of 2013. And it was the first meeting for the Aguilarovs with Donald Trump. And... um, They met in a hotel lobby. It was the Trump Hotel. And as they walked in, I saw them walk in. Donald Trump was at the other side of the lobby. He bellowed across the lobby, look, the richest man in Russia and his family have come to see me. And then bellowed it again as if it wasn't enough. And as I said earlier, that was funny because they were nowhere near that. Seemed to embarrass Aras a little bit. Um, That evening, we were due to have a private dinner. Emin was organizing. And um, I got a phone call. About half an hour before the dinner in my room and it was Keith Schiller who was uh, I was told uh, Donald Trump's personal head of security and he said to me Mr. Trump would like to come to dinner I went great and he goes so that's okay I was like fine and then I called Emin and said Mr. Trump's coming to dinner he thought it was a joke it wasn't a joke in walks Mr. Trump with Michael Cohen mm-hmm. and with Keith Schiller and I'd, I'd never met Michael Cohen but he happened to be seated next to me and emin was seated to my other side i mean i love this you're seated at the trump tower meeting you're
0: seated next to Manafort and kushner at, here in las vegas you're seated have you next seen to the
2: Michael movie Zelig? Zelig. Yes, i was just yes, about to yes. say hey. you're, so you're for everywhere a, for <laughs> a, a very star. small time yeah.
1: Yeah. i did call myself robert Zelig because yeah. anytime anything came up i was like why am i there like why <laughs> why yeah. um so i'm sat at this dinner and um It was a kind of get-to-know-you moment. They had Miss Universe there. They had the head of Miss Universe there. And um, in the middle of the dinner, Trump loudly, because everything he did, I'd never met him other than on a red carpet, but he seemed to do loudly and to make a point. He said to Emin, Emin, I have an idea. I'll I'll reduce the fee of the contest by a million dollars if you tell me if you've ever slept with any of the contestants with a smile on his face. And Emin, I knew he could fire back because I'd known him quite a while at that point, goes, that's very interesting, Mr. Trump. I'll increase the fee by $5 million if you tell me if you've ever slept with any contestants. Mm. And Trump, with a smile that had now turned out, went, should we just forget the bet? <laughs> <laughs> and he did it loudly. If it had been a whisper, I would have thought, oh, my God. But it was loud. Everyone laughed and but I thought, this is like a good relationship. They seem to like each other. I thought after that night that that Emin was like the naughty son that maybe Trump wished he'd had. I've said I've said way after that that I think Trump's kids are – I mean, Ivanka seems to be extremely polished and, and Don seems to be whatever he is and Eric is whatever he is. But they're not – Emin's like the naughty son. It was like right. he, he would make him laugh. He would say outrageous things and, and so would I. And I think that sort of appealed to him on some level. After that, we were going to a nightclub. We were going yes, to the and, Act. And I do want to discuss this. Exactly. So in, in great some, detail. Somebody at the table said I've made a reservation of VIP with, at a club called the Act. Now, at the time, I hadn't heard of the act, but I had heard of its sister club, The Box, which is in London and New York. And it's this super sexy kind of burlesque meets Cirque du Soleil with all kinds of weird and wonderful things, I'd been told. Uh, I have since visited The Box, so I can say that is true. But the act... Um, they said was a much tamer version of that because of uh, Nevada's laws or whatever it was. Not,
0: not <laughs> that much tamer, not that much tamer. Uh, as, as we subsequently discovered. Right. Yes.
1: But I, I sort of whispered to Eminem and said, um, now he's coming. I think I said to him, you must have made a good impression because now he's coming to the club with us. And that was fine. Um, we go, but the idea that suddenly we'd be going to a packed Vegas nightclub with Donald Trump had never entered into the equation of all of this. And that's just what we did and, and so he was there. I think it was close to his birthday, was quite near there and there were people It was his birthday, it was his birthday the, yeah. either the day before right, or the day. Something after. like that. yeah. So I think some of the people, not the contestants. I think some people have said the contestants. The contestants were there, but I think a few of the former former uh, winners or former contestants that were there may have come. Maybe Miss USA was there. I, I have no idea. It, it was so long ago and it was so packed.
0: Well, Olivia Culpo was Olivia there, right? was there for yeah, sure. Right, Miss sure. Universe, yeah.
1: yeah, and Paula Sugar and I think some of the people along with it. But what was the thing that struck me the most was Emmons desire to get rid of donald trump because he wanted to have fun and get... so he would say to me every so often like can we not leave or can he not leave and i said look I'm English, it's royal protocol. He's your royal protocol. You can't leave till your guest leaves, so you're stuck. And it was funny because it was like the running joke. I no, like, when will he leave? <laughs> okay,
0: let me explain why um, I found this significant, uh, because the act was a pretty raunchy uh, nightclub. In fact, it was under investigation at that very moment by the Nevada Anti- Anti-Gaming Commission because of its uh, risque acts in potential violation of Nevada anti-obscenity laws and among the regular series of acts that um, uh, the, the act put on was one called Hot for Teacher in which uh, dancers posing as college co-eds would urinate simulate urinating on their professor. Um, and there were a couple of Gee, where such have I heard that before? urination <laughs> uh, uh, performances at the act as you can best recall it, um, was such a performance put on the night you were there with Donald
1: Trump. So it is so difficult because I'd love to be able to say to you, sure, there were these people and they were peeing on the show." I don't know is the answer I, because at the box I think they do do that and I've been to the box in New York and LA and and, and New York and, and London so it's hard to say whether it was there or London or New York but I don't know if they did that night when we were there
0: okay so here's my question because you mentioned when we spoke a few weeks yeah. ago that you had seen this performance the urination mm-hmm. performance um in london mm-hmm. you believe and now you're also saying possibly in new york as well possibly okay yeah. with emin you were with emin in london yes. when you saw yes the urinating yes. performance um did you and emin talk about that
1: no i mean i'm sure we may have made a comment in the club when it happened but no not really.
0: Okay, because I mean, I guess the question that was always in my mind about this is, some gar- could some garbled version of this performance somehow have been the origin of the famous uh, scene in the Steele dossier that says um, Trump had prostitutes uh, peeing on the bed in uh, the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow?
1: Well... The interesting thing is, and again, I'm sure there's people far above my pay grade sitting in Washington currently trying to work out some of this, but um, your um, hypothesis on this actually makes more sense to me than what's alleged in the steel dossier that it happened at the ritz-carlton that night and and there's a couple of reasons for that one is there was a lot made about the provenance of trump wanting to stay in that particular suite in the ritz-carlton hotel well i know for a fact i booked that hotel and i was arguing with emin about which hotel he would even stay in up until forty eight hours before he was going into the intercontinental hotel in moscow So that part of it was always a bit weird but but more than that i never heard about it and if you've ever worked with a large-scale live event there's lots of people and, and over a, I think I was in Moscow maybe for three or four weeks with them in the run-up to it you become friends. I was friends with people in the hotel I'd stayed in the Ritz-Carlton I knew people that no one ever mentioned it before obviously during and after even when the story broke and that's when people suddenly write email text and go, yes I always knew about that yes I heard about it no one ever mentioned that to me right and I just thought Well, first of all, the only period that we didn't have Trump in kind of in our care was when he was supposedly sleeping. He would have got back to the hotel somewhere between 1.30 and 2 in the morning. And then at 7 a.m., I had him come down to do a music video. So there's four or five hours, let's say. In a 36-hour period, well, surely he has to sleep. He was approaching 70 years old. He didn't come down at 7 a.m. and look like he didn't sleep. Now, I do understand (laughs) That it may not take an an enormous amount of time for people to pee on each other in your presence. However, he's a known germaphobe. Although they, there's no allegation they peed on him. If you're a germaphobe, wouldn't you need somebody to come in and change the beds, do something? Where are those people? Like, can't somebody find CCTV or cards or key cards or chambermaids? That's all I say. Okay, and so, I never heard. So, so
0: back to my hypothesis that either Trump saw it that night in right. Las Vegas, or you and Emmons saw it later in right. London and talked about it, right. and somehow this made its way uh, to Into the folklore. people who told
1: yeah. uh, Christopher Steele. Yours makes, I, I would like to say this, way, yours makes as much sense if not more to me mm-hmm. than what is alleged in the Steele dossier, is this
0: something that Emin would have been into?
1: People peeing on each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, you know, I'm not usually in Emin's bedroom during the night, <laughs> but you know, I, I, mean, I don't know is the answer. I'd hate to say no and then him, you know, hear this and and, and say to somebody, oh, actually, I've, you know, I have a PhD in it. I mean, I don't know, but the the point is. I just believe, again, I go back to human nature, that somebody somewhere, people sell stories. People sell stories about me. So why wouldn't you sell stories about this taking place? So you testified before the Mueller grand jury, Mm -hmm. correct? Um, Mueller and the grand jury.
2: Mueller and the grand jury. Mm -hmm. Did this subject come up
1: at all? It definitely came up during the congressional... um, uh, uh, hearings or whatever you want to call them, these uh, questions. Behind closed doors. Behind closed question. doors yeah. with staffers on two occasions and with congressmen on the on the other one. It came up, um, I think, partly because there's a, like, a, what I call it in a tee-hee-hee moment of, like, tell us about that. it didn't seem to have a huge amount of credence to some extent. I, I don't think it came up at the grand jury, but it may have come up as a passing comment of, because they wanted me to walk them through the timeline of Trump in Moscow. And I believe they did ask me the question of, you know, it's been alleged or it's alluded to. But I can't remember. I, I do remember it specifically from those congressional ones. Right. But, but, but I, I was didn't say- see it as, as something they were focused on okay. by any means
2: uh, two quick things one, one is um, i believe uh that you've said that uh the muller that muller and his prosecutors actually were not all that interested in the trump tower meeting they were more interested in the relationship between uh, the, uh trump the trump's don jr and the aguilaros is that
1: correct my takeaway from from meeting with them was that they were interested in all aspects they wanted me to run through the email, they wanted me to run through the meeting, what was said and and all of that. But then it seemed like it was the bigger picture. What was Trump's relationships with the Aguilarov? What were their relationships like with the Kremlin, with Putin? Were there anything I saw? There was a whole long list of uh, a laundry list of Russian names that I hadn't heard of and I didn't know. It was those kind of things that they seemed much more interested in as, as to what Natalia may or may not have said.
0: Right. Okay. So um, a couple of things. First of all, just to uh, uh, wrap up on the uh prostitutes urinating subject um keith schiller as you know uh has testified that uh when he and uh, when the trumps got when trump got to moscow in november uh of 2013 and they went to the ritz carlton somebody offered to provide
1: prostitutes for mr
0: trump was that emin aguilera
1: Emin was um, when they got to I, I always believed that the schedule that we had was stuck to, which was that Mr. Trump would arrive and actually come directly to Nobu and do that pit stop afterwards at the Ritz-Carlton. But whether it was before or after is irrelevant. Um, Emmon was with me. So, again, unless it's something he said in his ear, it doesn't sound like something he would say. Because again, it's the same reason when people say, why wouldn't Emin or Raz have picked up the phone and asked for the meeting themselves. They have buffers, like I was the buffer in this case, mainly because if people say no or they're outraged or they don't want, or it's couching that no. Well, as well, a buffer.
0: look, was was Emin into prostitutes?
1: Was Emin into prostitutes? Yes. You know, no one's ever asked me that question. Well, I just, I did. mean, <laughs> <no one's, laughs> and I I've, I've thought I'd I've been asked every question. <laughs> I mean, not to my knowledge, but again, I. I cared about whether he had a hit record. I didn't care whether he hit on somebody. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it.
0: All right. So look, at that Miss Universe pageant, uh, you go through an account uh, uh, of what happened, but when you and I talked, you also made an important point because they were also doing a business deal then to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. A letter of intent was signed between Trump and uh, Aris Aguilarov to, uh, uh, to build the Trump Tower. Um, it was taken pretty seriously. Uh, Donald Jr. is put in charge of the project. Ivanka flies over to Moscow in February 2014 to scout potential sites with Emin. Uh,
1: Just to clarify that part, I yeah. As I understood it, um, Ivanka was flying to Moscow for some other reason, and while she was there, did a drive-by to meet with Emin and have him show around the property.
0: Did so, they did they pick out a site for the project?
1: I don't know if a site was ever picked out, but it, you know, this came about when Emin was driving Mr. Trump on a golf court ra- course round Croker City and said, "We're building our first residential development here." Maybe a Trump Tower. It was Donald Trump who that day during Miss Universe just said, Trump Tower's next. I mean, literally it was an hour or two after Emin had said this on a golf course that Trump, in Trumpian style, said, we'll build a Trump Tower. Trump Tower's next. So it had been a bit like the way the contest had happened. A whim, a thing, of which could easily have happened. And the Aguilaros jumped on it. Yes, it was a licensing deal. First of all, it was a licensing deal, so all you have to do is license the name. And secondly... Trump was hugely popular in Russia, so yes, it wouldn't be a bad thing at all. I I wasn't surprised when I heard them say that. So
2: I I, want to end this conversation um, with a question that I think is relevant to this period um, in in Moscow. So you have a curious dedication uh, in your book. It's dedicated to His Majesty King Wilhelm Wilhelm Alexander. So tell us who that is, and why did you dedicate your book to him and not say
1: your mum? So... (laughs) And you're assuming that King Willem-Alexander is not my father. (laughs) He's not. Um, So there was always this kind of, like, elephant in the room, which was, would Donald Trump meet Vladimir Putin while he was in Moscow? It had first come up during a lunch I had with Paula Shugat, who was the head of Miss Yunus. She's gone, oh, God, you know he's going to want to meet Putin. What do we do? And Emin said, it's very simple. We have to go through protocol. It needs to go through my father to someone in the government to... Right. So Trump had written a letter at the bottom. Trumpian style had scrawled in a black market. Lots of beautiful women as if for some reason second. that this, would seal the deal. This is
0: in the note that Trump writes to Putin. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you see the note? I've seen a copy of the note. It wasn't given to me, but I saw a scan of it. Yes.
0: Okay, the context for lots of beautiful women.
1: Oh, so he was inviting him to come to the contest. Oh, got it. And he decided to highlight something that only he could have obviously worked out, that there were lots of beautiful women there. But he scrawled it in black felt pen. So um, the idea was, would Vladimir Putin attend this? And Emin had said to me early on, there's no way he will attend it. Does Obama go to a beauty contest? It, It just isn't done. But let's see what could happen. Then it got to, would they meet somehow? And it came down to the wire, and a few hours before the contest, Emin said, my father's supposed to receive a call from Dmitry Peskov, who is the all-important sort of mouthpiece for the Kremlin, for Vladimir Putin. Please make sure that uh, Mr. Trump is there. So I bring him in. We're standing in a very small conference room, and Aras Agalarov takes this call from Peskov on behalf of Putin. And Emin translates, and they say that, Despite all the, w- the great will or the good wishes of the president, they can't meet. And the reason they can't meet isn't political. It's that the King of Holland, who has an existing meeting, is delayed in traffic. So he can't meet Trump. And my first thought was, Ugh. so my chance to go to the Kremlin with Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, take some amazing selfie, do something, has now all been screwed up because the King of Holland can't get there on time. That in itself, I thought was amusing. But when I told this story to staffers from the Senate Intelligence Committee, one of them, when I was leaving, said to me, can I just have a word with you guys? You should send the King of Holland the biggest bunch of flowers that you can find. (laughs) Because if you'd been the person who had secretly taken Donald Trump to meet Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin, in Moscow, can you imagine how much more awful your life would be right now? (laughs) And I laughed like you just did. And then I said to him, I'm dedicating my book to King Willem Alexander of the Netherlands, who I'm sure is horrified that now I've involved him in this in some way. H- have as well. you
0: sent him a copy? <laughs> I've
1: contacted the Dutch Press Association, right. who laughed loudly and went, Our king is involved in so this. I said, No, no, no. <laughs> so I'm sure on some level, the same way as I created some international instant with an email, I will do the same in Holland. Well, th- these are, on that note, these yeah. are great stories, very colorful,
2: but also. Fill in important pieces of the puzzle. Um, And uh, um, thank you for being on, Rob Goldstone. And the book is Pop Stars, Pageants, and Presidents, uh, How an Email Trumped My Life. Which it did.
0: (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thanks to Lisa Belkin and Rob Goldstone for joining us on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you next week.